did some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Behind me are students and advisors who traveled all across the desert from Temecula, California, from the Rancho Baptist Church. I had an opportunity to speak out there last week. And uh, these guys are here, and they are witnessing uh, to LDS and uh, learning all about uh, how to do that. So really glad to have them. They're a great group. We were just had a good discussion, and they have one message to say, a one and a two and a three. We love you, Pastor Matt. <laughs> There's always one. Now, everyone said we love you, Pastor Matt, but what did you say? I said hi, Pastor Matt. <laughs> <laughs> we love these guys. God bless you. Thanks so much. Heart of the Matter can be seen here on live television through streaming video at HOTM.TV, in our archives at the same website, all over the web, especially at YouTube. So wherever you're watching from, we welcome you. Every Saturday, AM 8, every Sunday, AM 820, The Truth replays Heart of the Matter. AM 820 is a great Christian radio station here in Utah, run by a great brother, Rusty, so check it out. Then join us for a verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study at the University of Utah every Sunday afternoon. Next week, we're going to have some footage of uh, that Bible study, so if you're afraid to come, you can see how uh, open and friendly it is. That's every Sunday afternoon from 2.30 to 3.30 at the U of U. Now listen, check out uh, www.calvarycampus.com because it's brand new, it's revised, it's updated. It's a beautiful piece of work thanks to Micah B. And uh, so you can find out times uh, and directions there for this Bible study. Remember, Monday night, April 9th, I'll be going to Evanston, Wyoming for the honor of speaking at the Calvary Fellowship out there. 6 p.m. at the Evanston Calvary Fellowship. Join us if you live in and around that area. Love to see you. Last Saturday night, we had the privilege of screening Girl at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. Had great attendance with a great deal of those being teenagers, which is exactly the market uh, that the writer uh, director wants to reach. We really appreciate the open hospitality and support given by Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. Uh, they were more than accommodating. Pastor Terry uh, Long and uh, really shepherds a great church. If you're looking for a great church to fellowship and live in this area, I would strongly suggest Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. Speaking of girl, we want to let you know that the video is now available. It's, uh, we think it's the first part of three that every teenager should see, especially girls, and uh, as it will open up a dialogue with parents and or youth leaders or with each other, you can get girl at the Salt Lake City Calvary Chapel uh, or go to www.hotm.tv. Uh, you can also get our books, I Was a Born Again Mormon, and If My Kingdom Was of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight This. So there's three products available to you through Aletheia uh, Ministries. 
We received an email from Chandra saying, what happened to Heart for Israel? We still have a Heart for Israel, but getting some of the products to you uh, in the correct way uh, became difficult. And because people were primarily ordering those products because they liked this ministry, uh, we had to make it, uh, we had to kind of cut off the relationship because we couldn't get those products uh, to you. But we still have a heart for Israel, never forget that. How about uh, a moment from the Word? Now remember, through um, the show, if we touch on a topic, like right now I'm going to talk about the Sabbath day, you can go back to the archives for 2010 and you can find an entire program dedicated to that topic uh, for like, for instance, Sabbath day or whatever we might be talking about. But I'm just going to touch on something and we're going through Matthew and we're just hitting on passages that kind of conflict with the Mormon idea of what it might mean and what the Christians uh, know it to mean. Tonight we've come to Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus is accused of not doing that which is lawful on the Sabbath day. There are many points Jesus uses to clarify to the Jews what Sabbath observance really is, including his recitation of how David profaned the Sabbath day by eating the shoe bread, by healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, and he asked the Jews around him uh, who were accusing him if they had a sheep that fell into a ditch, how many of them would not uh, go after that sheep even if it was the Sabbath day. These points alone could take up the whole program, but there are some issues still here uh, that we should consider relative to the LDS. First, the Sabbath day is Saturday, always has been Saturday, and it will never, ever be another day of the week. Sunday is not the biblical Sabbath day. Secondly, Sabbath day observance is relegated to Jews, and the covenant was between God and man. Nowhere are Sabbath day observances commended in the New Testament. The key to understanding the Sabbath to every Christian is found in the words Jesus says in Matthew 12, 8, where he says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. What does he mean? The Jews were under the burden of the law and looked to the end of the week to, for a day where they could finally rest. First day of the week was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday night as the sun began to fall, the Jews looked for that day for a day of rest. But Jesus is the Christian's rest. We find rest in him every single day of the week. Remember when Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. So what it is, is the picture of the Sabbath day for the Jews on Saturday was a picture for us that they found their physical rest being under the law on Saturday. We as Christians find our spiritual rest on Jesus every minute of every hour of every day of the week for the rest of, of your life. So it's not on a day anymore. What is wrong with this piece of hair? It is not on a day anymore of the week. Every day is a Sabbath to you, really. Every day you are worshiping and honoring and resting in Jesus Christ and what he got, does. So where Saturday was a day of rest, every day is a day of rest for us. For Mormons, to take Sunday and then rename it the Sabbath day is unconscionable, but to reinstitute performance expectations or, or uh, to forbid certain things on that day is, is even worse. And finally and again, what it is, it culminates in Mormons ignoring 
the constant rest that Jesus affords all those who believe on his name. Let's step back and address a question from our resident alien, Blake. He sent us a bunch of questions and we've been going through, but you know, before I answer this question of tonight, I want to point something out. One of the essential differences that should or ought to exist between a believer in Christ and an atheist should be that the believer in Christ ought to be full of humility. Uh, I know this in and of it sounds un, not humble. Oh, I'm a Christian. I am so humble, you know. But uh, what I mean by this is that an essential characteristic of a Christian is to realize that in and of him or herself, we really know nothing. We really, I mean, we have some things that we can, we know from the word of God, but in terms of science and things, we have what gets us through. But in terms of a comparison to us and God, we are just we're really just dust, okay? And we know nothing. That's the type of humility I'm talking about. We're foolish, broken, and at the opposite end of that scale, if you have a broken, humble Christian, I would suggest you find the confirmed in their heart atheist. And the reason is if for them to say there is no God, they are inferring that they have all knowledge. For instance, they have looked under every rock. They have looked at every sunset. They have opened every library book. They have searched all the writings of all the prophets of, of Jesus' sayings. They have, they have done everything under the sun, scoured the earth, and that gives them the, the right, the arrogant right to say on this end of the spectrum, there is no God. See, and that's just a major difference that you have to understand between a, a Christian and a, someone who claims to be uh, an atheist. Uh, one stance is realistically humble. The other is incomprehensibly proud. Okay, so let's hear Blake's question. This week he asked, if God's word is supposed to be the most accurate and revealing of him himself, how are we supposed to trust it when there have been hundreds of books that were excluded and so many translations and revisions over history? First of all, Blake, the books were, that were not included in the Bible were not God's word. Okay, if they were God's word, they would be in the Bible. So when you say, as the atheist over here on this polarized end, how come these other words of God are not in the book? They were not words of God. If they were God's word, they would have been included. So you have to go by and trust those who were there at the time who compiled the word of God, the apostles who wrote it, the Old Testament put it all together. They had some strict screening processes where they determined which books were uh, authentic words of God and which books were not. And there were plenty of counterfeits, just like there's plenty of counterfeits today. Secondly, the Bible is a thousand times more reliable and supported by any uh, Greek uh, text, including the ancient Greek texts like Homer and stuff where the colleges and, and high schools will say, oh, Homer, let's read. Those, we don't even have any sub supportive texts for those compared to the 20,000 manuscript evidences we have for the Bible. Third, the Bible is the only sacred text on earth that can be proven. Um, the rest are pulled out of thin air. The rest are built on people's fancy, from the Bhagavad Gita to the, the Book of Mormon to the, uh, I'm going to probably lose my head over this, the Koran. They were pulled out of someone's visions, out of someone's thin air. The Bible can be proven uh, uh, histor uh, historically, genetically, um, linguistically. It can be proven uh, um, 
in every single way possible. And then you add in things like finds and discoveries like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which validate what the Bible stands for today. And you have the word of God. So Blake, again, once again, you're proving yourself uh, to have fallen victim to what the world wants every single person to do. Discount the Bible. Don't believe the Bible because when you do, then everything's open to your own interpretations and good luck with that. Our ability to stay in the public eye is uh, tied directly to uh, your support of the ministry. Uh, we hope you will prayerfully consider the following. Over the past five years, we've seen a number of groups come in and out of the state, uh, like the one we opened up the show with, college kids, even high school kids, usually from Christian groups, Christian colleges and Christian churches from around the nation. And they, when they're visiting the state, sometimes they find out about the show and they come. And I hear many of them say something that's really unique. They say, uh, some of them have said, you know, when you come into the state, there's an oppressive feeling. There's a spiritual darkness that kind of permeates. And I've heard some really unusual stories from people who have never had any exposure or predisposition, but they, they've traveled the world, for, for instance, on mission trips. And when they come to Salt Lake, they say there's a, there's a unique kind of oppression here. Now, part of that probably comes from the fact that Mormonism teaches a combination of grace and works. And there's a burden that is placed upon those people. Plus, if you look at the origins of it, you have some difficulty. So I want to I give you some statistics to back up what I just said. Now, these are going to trouble you because uh, they, they're, they're talking about the state of Utah. But I'm just revealing what uh, facts find. And I'm going to give you the resources. Utahbusiness.com says that Salt Lake City is the America's leader in plastic surgery. Okay? And you look up Utahbusiness.com. You can find that. Um, abcnews.go.com is Utah is America's most depressive state. Uh, Deseretnews.com says Utah has the most bankruptcy filings in America. Uh, it has fallen to second place baked, based on bankruptcyaction.com. Utah is the most antidepressant use, especially for women. This is found by usu.edu and cbsnews.com. Uh, Adherence.com and DeseretNews.com says Utah leads the nation in suicide among men aged 15 to 24. We need to take that child out, you guys, I'm sorry. Uh, 15 to 24. 
uh, LDS-Mormon.com and PyramidSchemeAlert.org says Utah has the most per capita fraud in America. Salt Lake City with a mere 100, uh, this is wrong, 170,000 residents, maybe the city itself does, is by far the country's smallest city where scam fighting U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has an office. They say there's no shortage of business in the state. Utah is the number one mortgage fraud state in America. That is based at DeseretNews.com. In 2006, it dropped to second. Since 1991, no, excuse me, Utah leads the nation in searches for the word pornography, nudity, striptease. Uh, and you can go to google.com back uh, forward slash insights forward slash search to do a search on those words and find out what states and what countries do the most searches. Uh, Utah is number one. Utah leads the nation in uh, subscriptions to pornographic sites. That's from deseretnews.com and... Uh, and I don't think the other one's really relevant. There is an oppressive spirit in the state, and there's a reason for that. So try to think of what it might be. We are going to tonight continue our interviews with my good friend John Delenn of Mormon Stories. Please remember as you watch that I do understand much of the Mormon mindset, and many of my responses are aimed at reaching the LDS, not necessarily pleasing believers. And so let's open up our phone lines so the operators can begin clearing your calls, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. And now to John Dellen and Mormon Stories, part four. Um, after that wonderful segment, I don't want to drag it down into sort of this back and forth bash or anything like that. No interest in that. I do have a lot of questions that are going to seem challenging on face value. Not because I'm trying to um, put you in a corner. Not because uh, I'm trying to lay a, a trap. Not that I could. I, I wouldn't want to mess with you. Um, there are a lot of questions people have. A lot of questions I have. Um, so you've answered a lot of them in just what you've said so far. Um, but I just thought we'd do a Q&A for an hour, hour and a half, and just go through as many of these as we can. All right. Is that all right? Sure. So you have an organization. What's it called again? Alathia Ministries. It's a 501c3 California tax exempt, yeah. So it's a nonprofit. Yeah. So donations to your organization are yeah. tax exempt. Yeah. Okay. And what are the main products or offerings or programs? TV. It's just all the TV program. Television program and our Bible studies. That's pretty much it. We put them all online. Yeah, that's, that's and, it. And you, you exist purely through donations yeah. of, of supporters? Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of people criticize the LDS Church for their lack of financial transparency. Are you guys financially transparent? Sure. Anyone can see where we spend our money and, and why. What's your, I mean, are you comfortable talking about like the annual revenue? Last year, I think we brought in uh, about 86,000. That's all? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And your cost? The year before that, nothing. So yeah. the, last year was your first year to make? To, to, to have, well, I shouldn't say nothing. The year before that, I think it was about uh, 13, 14,000. And before that, l less and less. We're not in this for the money. I know most people think we are. Uh, I, uh, I do not make money. And I funded it, uh, quite frankly, through credit 
uh, for the first three years. And I can, I can prove that to anybody. You talked about your show a bit. It's, it's, it's broadcasted to Utah, Idaho, and... Montana. Through public access? No. It's cable, it's dish, and it's um, uh, broadband. It's all. Do you have to pay licensing fees, or how do you get picked up? Um, station, other networks can pick us up, but we're not picked up by any other television station. It's just KTMW, TV20, and a sister station in Boise, Idaho. Okay. So... The rest of the world, or United States, whatever, understands who we are by virtue of the internet. Okay, yeah. through, through the streaming. Streaming that happens and, and archives, yeah. Okay. What do you think the key to your success has been? How many people do you think you've reached? In terms of, well, it, you can break that down. Reached millions. Millions have watched your show. Yeah, millions have watched the show. Uh, in that's, terms, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's radical. Um, in terms of actually done something to, well, there's a segment of people who go online to research Mormonism, and then they click on a YouTube video, and that helps them to say, I'm not going to do this. Um, others, then we have a segment of people who are coming out, and so it tutors them. All the shows, 200 shows are available. And then we have, we know of from emails, uh, at least uh, maybe 300, maybe a little less, of people who have actually were core LDS believers, at least in the sense that they belonged and went, who have left because of the program. And they've written you. Yeah, who have written us, yeah. What's your schedule like? Uh, I fly in on a Saturday morning to Utah from California, and I, uh, I do the Bible study on Sunday. I meet, with, I meet with LDS people all the time, searching people all the time. And then we do the show uh, on Tuesday night. I write the show and the sermons throughout the week, and I fly back home on Wednesday. Wednesday's my day off, Thursday and Friday. I'm working on the sermon, and that's, I've done that for four years. So Sabbath isn't a day of rest for you? No. <laughs> no. And your wife's living with her parents in California? Yeah. And you have a, a, a daughter going to school there? No. Uh, my oldest daughter graduated from college, and my middle daughter is in Utah. And my youngest, oh yeah, going to school. I thought you meant college. Yeah, high school. Okay, yeah. going to school. In, yeah, and when uh, she graduates, we will move up to Utah. It, bring it full time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really been a benefit not to live in the state because we do, I do have people, I mean, we've had some death threats and we've had some, some angry stuff, so it's beneficial for me to leave. And it's been nice to come back, do what I do, and get out of here. <laughs> um, so the, the year that you plan on coming to Utah full time is when? 2011. Okay, so... You know, yeah. Utah, get ready. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> a couple more years. I don't years, know if it'll make any difference. Years to prepare. Yeah. yeah. Um, so death threats. Is that is it scary doing what you do? I, I say to everybody, and it sounds kind of tongue in cheek, but I really believe the Lord has my back, and uh, I think that if it's if someone, you know, the funny thing about the death threats is they call and say they're going to come and take me out. If someone's really going to take me out, they're not going to call and warn me, you know. So it's, it's kind of a game. But, and there haven't been that many. Uh, generally, I find the LDS very um, aloof. But I, you can see them. They, they know. And they watch. And that's another one of the uh, beneficial things about the, the program. Never been done before, I don't think. But in the quiet of their home, when no one's looking, they can watch the show. And they do. And so we know they're watching. But uh, it takes time, you know. Yeah. So do people see on the street? All the time. What do they say? 
hey, you're that guy. Anybody ever yell at you or get really mad? Yeah, uh, I've had him yell. I've had him say, yell in the airport, you're wrong, you know, things like that. And uh, most people are just, um, the ones I love are the LDS who are secret searchers, who come along, they've been in the church, they're usually in their 50s or 60s, their whole family, their grandkids, everybody's in it, and they're just like, I, I just don't believe it, but I don't know what to do. And uh, I say, man, trust the Lord. You know, what are you going to do? You trust the Lord and see where he leads you, you know, pray with him, on they go. And I, I love those. Yeah. So let's talk about your style a bit. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of charisma. Uh, you know, the appearance, your hair is always, always doing interesting things. Yeah. I, always, I always assumed, even from that first website I saw, that you must have made millions in your stockbroker business it, and some... that that funded. Yeah. I think it's just the metrosexual thing we talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah, yeah, But um, It's not true. But, but you, do, you, you, know, you do have a style for sure. Yeah. Um, but um, probably the most common question I, I get um, about you is when your show gets a little bit harsh, when it, um, some people say that they feel like there's mocking that goes on, sarcasm, strong words. Uh, I, I've, lis I've listened to several episodes, and yeah, sometimes the words uh, are really strong. Sometimes the way you talk about uh, the church leadership is quite harsh um, to, to, a, to a believer. Yeah. Um, so talk about, your decision to take sort of a more aggressive tone? Because, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to really like what they see here. They're going to go, wow, he's really reasonable and really moderate. Mm. For some people, you may reach them better in this format mm. than your show. And sure. some might even argue that your show might turn people off sure. when you could have um, maybe brought them in more by being more moderate. Yeah. So tell, to talk about the decision. The title of the book, Born Again Mormon, said it all. And uh, I started the shows off much more passive. But I realized quickly that when I would say, you know, uh, something that was certainly biblical and certainly from the Christian side, the LDS would call and they would say, it's so great, we all believe the same thing. You know, and, and so I realized the um, love method in television did nothing but make people who didn't know the differences say we're all the same. And so I had to make a decision to, to start to call people on things. For instance, uh, people, LDS would call and say, well, I'm born again too. It's so wonderful you wrote Born Again Mormon. And, and so then I'd have to say, well, how are you born again? And they'd say, well, I believe in Jesus and I go to the temple and I pay my tithing and I do all this. And I'd say, well, now we have a problem. And they say, well, what do you mean we have a problem? And I say, well, you got a problem because those, those aren't, they don't fit with the Christian purview of what born again is. Well, who do you think you are? Well, who do you think you are? And I realized that I represented a segment of society who's voiceless, the, the, the tiny voices out there. And they never get to come back at somebody. They don't have the answers. They're not articulate with the knowledge of the gospel. And so it really soon became apparent that there's an entertainment segment to the show that comes with some of it. Uh, I, I, there's been a, I can probably count on two hands out of 200 shows how many times I've actually been angry. But when I'm like throwing down, I, I'm not angry. It's a, it's a method of trying to reach people, get them to think, slap them in the face, make them hate me, 
make him prove that he is wrong. Get on the internet, look up UTLM, look up Joseph Smith had wives, he's such a liar. What? So it's, it's all a tool. Um, when I meet people on the plane, going back and forth, and I do all the time who are LDS, the conversation's like this. And they say, well, I, I believe in the Book of Mormon. Okay, you know, I believe in Les Miserables. I think it's an inspired book, too. Let's talk about that. And it's very gentle. But television, you have to understand, no one's going to tune in if I sit there like they do on the BYU channel and discuss doctrinal issues. So I've got to do something. That's why the style is always changing. Yeah. Just in response to that, I mean, I, that makes sense to me. I did pull a couple scriptures from the Bible, not again to trap you, but just to like, I, I'm curious how you juxtapose what you just said yeah. with the scripture. So, you know, 1 Corinthians, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not charity, I, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Um, uh, and then it goes on to define what charity is. Suffereth long and is kind, envieth not, vaunteth not up itself, is not puffed up. Um, uh, so an approach for TV is understandable. Yeah. But then, like, how do you square that with God's word? Do you feel like you're sinning or justifying his, his law to yeah. be loving and patient and long-suffering and meek and humble and... I believe all of those attributes, and, 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 and they are part of uh, my life. I believe they're part of my character and what I do one-on-one. -on -one. But there's a time and place for methods. Jesus had no problem calling the Pharisees vipers. No problem, all right? And he told them that they were the children of the devil, okay? So there's a time when, when it is loving to make somebody wake up. Now, we live in a society where love is everything, all right? And truth takes a back seat. That's called irresponsibility. If I got up there and just said, you know, I love you all, Jesus loves you too, that's irresponsible of me because they're under the idea of another type of uh, soteriology. And so I have to bring truth in. So there's a balance between truth and love. In terms of my charity, my agape love for them, as, as Corinthians talks about, I have it. And that's why I sacrifice to bring the message to them. And, and we live the way we have lived in order to do this. But what people see is that what they perceive as being attacking. Now, I attack with, here's another thing about the show that people don't understand. Having been LDS for 40 years, when a caller calls me, I know almost ahead of time, not from a screener, but where they're going. And so I cut them off because I can see in my head where they're headed in their argument. And so it, it sounds like, well, that's just rude. But I, I can almost see the type of character who's coming at me. And that's why I do it. Now, I have LDS people call who I don't get that from. And I would never argue with them or call them down. As far as my treatment for the leaders, I have absolutely zero respect, tolerance. Um, I would call them vipers from the first presidency in the 12. None. I have nothing for them in terms of my decorum. I am consider myself John the Baptist to those guys, and I'm going to call them out on them assigning the name apostle to themselves and walking about in their suits thinking they're apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave their lives 
They were hanged and boiled and everything else. Gave their lives for Christ. And these guys walk around and they assign it. And when they walk into a room, we stand. Um, give me a break. If you walked into a room, if Peter walked in, he'd say, sit down. I'm a fisherman, man. These guys I have no respect for. And so I call them out on it. And they say that's disrespectful. I believe Jesus would call them out too. I think he'd call them vipers. You can use your pirate voice to do Peter. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? I heard that. Yeah. It failed miserably. <laughs> your Peter was like, arr, babies, arr. I, I mixed a pirate with fisherman. Oh, it's we're terribly embarrassing. About, we're talking about an episode where he tries to do Peter. Did, didn't quite work, but no. it, was, it was fun. It was fun. So, epistemology. Ways of knowing. Uh, probably the second biggest question I got is... Uh, you know, you, um, you had some type of experience where you felt something. You interpreted it in a certain way to mean something. And that's meaningful to you. Plenty of LDS church members would claim to have had their own version of a spiritual experience, some type of confirmation that leads them to, to know what they know. And... Um, they feel like they've had the same type of spiritual confirmation about the Book of Mormon and the Bible as, as you claim to have had about the Bible. And this puts you in the position of saying, Sean, you know, I'm, I'm Sean McCraney. My witness and my spiritual experience... Superior my, to yours. What? Is superior to yours. Is, is valid, mm. and all yours is invalid. Mm. Okay. Um, I believe we have a manual, the Bible, and I believe it's linguistically and archaeologically and geographically and uh, all the other ificlies based. I don't believe it's uh, inerrant. I know it has problems. but You I, don't believe in an inerrant Bible? I believe in infallible, but not inerrant. And what I mean by that is it has everything necessary for you to know about God. All right? And that word is? Infallible. Infallible. It, it doesn't fail. It's not going to fail you and knowing what God wants you to know. Inerrant, forget it, you know. I mean, we have so many, I mean, you, you translate the King James into, into Gaelic, you're gonna have problems. So I don't believe in inerrancy, but I do believe in inerrancy in the original manuscripts. I do believe what God told Isaiah to write was inerrant. But at this point, inerrancy, no. But infallibility as being God's word in our hands now, yes, I do believe that. So I use that manual. That, has that ever come across in your show? Sure. Because the way, I, I haven't seen them all, but the way you talk about the Bible comes across as I see the Bible is, is perfect. No. Now you're saying right now you acknowledge the, the areas where Judas is killed, dies one way here and another way in Acts, and, and the Old Testament gets it wrong about the ages, and yeah. the, the versions of the Gospels all contradict each other at various points in terms of the facts well, if we, if, of the story. Yeah. If we went down each one of those points, I think I could answer the, what those points are. But I do believe there are errors, you know? Were the ones I mentioned some of the errors or not? No, I don't think the ones you mentioned are some of the errors. For instance... So Judas in, 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 in the Gospels... He hung, and the other one's bowels gushed out. Falling in a field. Okay, if, someone's, if a car drives down a road and hits a tree, and a cat jumps on, on the car and runs down the street, and two people report it, and one person said... The car hit the tree, 
And the other one said the car hit the tree and a cat jumped down. It doesn't make either account wrong. It just means one account has more information than the other one. I find it absolutely beautiful that the four Gospels are in co they, they don't converge exactly or else we would know there was a collusion there to deceive. But because they're different, to me, bodes well that they, we did have different men writing different things. And it's not all exact. That's, that's okay with me. But anyway, uh, inerrant, yeah. go ahead. It just struck me, that's a similar logic that the LDS apologists use to explain the multiple versions of the first vision. Yeah, yeah I know. That depending yeah. on who the audience is and what's being written. That's what Joseph said. And I would say to those apologists, let me tell you something. If I saw God, it's going to be the same story every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so. Oh, but in terms of epistemology. So to continue that. Well, so what are the, uh, what are the, what are some errors in the Bible that you would acknowledge? Some Dates. Uh, there's date problems. We, we have problems with um, uh, uh, some um, places that they say existed that were named one thing and Acts calls it another. There are some, there are some scribal problems in the Bible that we have today and any Bible student today is going to admit that, you know. Uh, it's dogmatism. It's a, for lack of a better word, kind of a feeble mind that will say, this is a perfect book in every single letter that we have in our hands today. That's just not true. But I believe in probably a high, high percentage. I believe in 98, 99. I, I really do believe in a high percentage. And I believe all the cr higher criticisms can be answered with scholarship. Maybe they'll be weak. Uh, but I do believe that the Bible is, does have scribal problems, absolutely. What about like in Genesis it says, for I have seen God face to face, but in John it says no man hath seen God at any time. Well, I mean, those are Hebraisms. If you look at most of the Old Testament, they use Hebra Hebraisms. Face to face just meant they talked to him. It doesn't necessarily mean his face to their face. It also said that, you know, there's, there's aspects of God that are... Uh, um, anthropomorphically assigned, but it's a Hebraism to help invoke what the person saw. Just like Isaiah talking about the wheels churning and spinning. We don't know what any of that means. So I, I don't think those are inconsistencies. And if you have something where it says, no one has seen God at any time, then, and that's, it's that straightforward, you have to understand then what the other ones are meaning. And so you look at context, you look at what has been said, and I think they're answerable. They're debatable. I, I'm not, I'm not going to die on the hill, you know. If, if someone wants to say, well, I don't like that. You know what I tell the LDS when they say the Bible, as far as it's translated correctly, I can't trust the Bible? I say, you show me the verses that aren't reliable, and we'll just read the rest of them and see what it does for you, you know. Come on. I mean, so you either have a general story there where all the elements are necessary for you to grow with God and understand who Jesus is, or you don't. You know, and I... I so in terms of the Bible, that's my thought. And, and if someone, you know, I could go through a big list of things. Um, you, it sounds like your position is there, there very well could be factual errors in the Bible. Sure. In terms of names or sure. happenings. Sure. You're just going to concede all that. Oh, yeah. And that maybe even that your apologetic explanations for those um, potential errors might even be at times as feeble as an LDS apologist. Absolutely. You're cool with all that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think our listeners or viewers 
will have any idea that that's your position. Mm. But that sort of obsoletes many of the questions that I have oh, okay. around the Bible, which is totally fine. Okay. Okay, so back to epistemology. Yeah. Um, your spiritual feelings versus the LDS church member's spiritual ex experiences, yours are valid, theirs aren't. Okay. Well, going back, that's why I brought the Bible up. If you have a, an epistemological experience that says something is true, that isn't supported by the book that I believe comes from God, then I have to question your epistemological experience. If we didn't, then everybody's experience is true. So if we're going to go by everybody's experience is true, then I have to say to the LDS, if you say you had a burning in your bosom and you just know that something's true, well, what about the, the Muslim who says the same thing, the Jehovah's Witness? How can we differentiate? That is, if that's the case, then everything's willy-nilly. Nothing really matters in terms of what we believe or what we do. And it's just a universalism. It's all good, you know? What's different about my epistemology is that you cannot know something that is not true. I can't say, I know that bridge is safe to cross. I know it is, I know it is, and then cross it and have it collapse on me. I didn't know it. I just believed it, okay? So therefore, I can only say I know that bridge is safe if it is 100% safe. There is only one guy or one thing that is labeled true in the scripture, New Testament, and it's a capital T true. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, all right? So the only thing I can know is who he is because he is true and unfailing. Everything else is up in the air to me. So my, my, my knowledge is not based on a feeling. Like I said, what you said it's a feeling. I don't say my roadside experience was this feeling. My experience was the knowledge that comes to knowing truth. And it, is, it transcends feelings. It's like what I said, the difference between my feeling that this chair is uh, hard versus my seeing. It's more of a scene in my epistemology rather than a feeling. And I, I hope that makes some sense. Sure. So earlier in the interview, you were coming across, I was feeling Unitarian Universalistic. I mean, I was feeling like you were talking about Hindus and Muslims and what, what goes on in their heart. I mean, you allowed for that. You allowed for even a member of the LDS Church to have that born-again experience. Absolutely. Um, so what if it's like this? What if um, everywhere there's baggage? I, I bet you would even concede that in other Christian faiths, evangelical, whatever you might be a little bit sympathetic to, they've got doctrines or teachings that aren't biblical or aren't sound. Sure. True? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what if it's that our challenge as humans is just to have this change of heart? And... Um, if you're LDS, you're associating with a little bit of Joseph Smith and a little bit of Brigham Young and a little bit of Book of Mormon and that sort of, you know, the, the packaging that comes around that, that yeah. change of heart. Right. If you're a Muslim, it's with Muhammad and Allah and whatever's going around there. Yeah. If you're an atheist, maybe it's around nature and around your family, um, truths that you learn just through, through the great works, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. But what if... What if God's working through all, all of these churches and, and atheists and agnostics? Mm -hmm. And all the other doctrines are just peripheral. They're kind of window dressing. Mm -hmm. 
But that change of heart is happening in a TBM Mormon, and it's happening in a, an evangelical person, in a Catholic, mm -hmm. in a Muslim, in a Hindu. Mm -hmm. And it is God's working everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem with that. So I'm not backing off that kind of wide ecumenical view. I believe God works everywhere in the atheist through nature. I believe all that he works through. But I can't discount where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And so I have to somehow be able to understand how that happens in these people who don't know him. So I, I am not a universalist because I do believe in hell. I, 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 don't, I think Jesus talked enough about it that I, I believe it. What hell is, uh, well, hell gives up her dead. I won't even go into that doctrine. But in any case, I believe that Jesus is the only way. But how he comes into people's lives, that's, that's not up to me to decide. The problem is, is when Latter-day Saints come and say, well, Jesus is important, but there's more to it. That alters Jesus being the only way, you know. That takes Jesus and, you know. And so it's, I, I think that there's a clear path that, that very few find that is free of obstacles. It's you standing on it, and there's Jesus, and that's it. And that is the true relationship. You bring religion in, they start putting these cones and obstacles. The Pentecostals bring in their holy roller stuff, and, and the born-again revivalists bring in all their stuff. And so those things can be obstacles. They can actually lead away from Christ. I believe in the case of Mormonism, most of it leads away from the tr and are bigger obstacles to getting to him standing there. And I think people do, and I think they'll discount and they'll get to him. But I just feel like there could be a, a, a revival where somebody's going to say, okay, why don't we just admit Pearl of Great Price, come on. Why don't we just admit some of these things and let them go? It happened with the Worldwide Church of God and take eyes. It can happen. And so that's kind of what I hope for. Didn't, didn't serve them well, by the way. No, it didn't. And that's why it's going to be tough for it to happen in Mormonism. <laughs> what he was saying at the end there is that it didn't serve the Worldwide Church of God well when uh, Tekach, their leader, uh, actually took the church and said, listen, we're going to grace. No more of this uh, Herbert J. Armstrong stuff. We're going to throw all that stuff out. And he was saying that didn't serve them well, and it didn't. Their, their numbers dwindled down, whoom. But nevertheless, they embraced the truth, and that's what matters. Try to remember, I am talking to an LDS audience who watches that, and I'm explaining from, a, from a, a Christian trying to reach into the heart of the LDS. I know the Bible. I know what it stands for. I know what Jesus stands for and all the things that you could be a little bit uncomfortable with. But remember, I'm, I'm, uh, it's milk before meat, and we're just working with it. So don't deluge us with emails ready to set me on fire. Okay, let's go to Tanner in Fort Worth, Texas. He's a first-time caller. Tanner, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right, sir. It's good to talk to you. I just want to say um, from last week, praise God for those 24 baptized. That's awesome, man. Thanks, man. Anyway, I wanted to ask you, um, which information in the Bible points directly at the falsehood of LDS doctrine? Almost all of it. <laughs> yes, I amen to that. Yeah. But um, I have a friend at school. I'm, a, I'm 17 years old. I'm a junior at high school, in high school in Fort Worth, Texas. And I have a friend of mine who's LDS. I, I don't want to use her name on the air because she has family in Salt Lake City, and I don't want to get you know my name thrown down in the dirt for that. Okay. But um, I, I can email you her name if need be. But um, she, you know, I 
know, she's very uh, well, you know, indoctrinated LDS. Okay. I just, I just wanted to know some information that you, uh, what, what really made you, what convinced you that it was all false after 40 years? It's a long process, like you said. It takes a long time, and it wasn't an immediate thing. I had to go through a lot. But let me tell you this. Uh, uh, Tanner, are you still there? Yes, sir, I'm here. Okay, listen. Open up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and just ask your friend if you can go through verse by verse and discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, yep. all right. It's one of the best books because, it one, it defines the gospel, which the LDS say was lost from the earth. First four verses define the gospel, which is Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected. That's what it says the gospel is. What needs to be restored to the earth? Did Jesus not come? Did he not die? Did he not resurrect? Of course he did. So that's one point. You go on through that and it talks about baptism for the dead. If you read it contextually, it's tough, but you can get it. Look at our show in 2010 about it. It talks about three kingdoms and it puts it in context about what Paul was saying and refutes Joseph's uh, teachings on it. It talks about the pre-mortal existence, meaning that Jesus came before and nobody else. He was from above, we are from below. It lays that out plain. And then it ends with teaching about the doctrine of works versus grace. So 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 1 Corinthians 15 is a, is a chapter anybody reaching out to a friend who's LDS should sit down and read and talk about and get open up the, the thought process for them. Of course, Romans is great too and Ephesians and, and all of them are great. But if you're going to pick one to just start on, you might also try 1 John and talk about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. You know, and you can try those things. Does that help? Yes, that does. And there's one thing I wanted to ask you that after some really in-depth research I found in the Doctrines and Covenants uh, 132, yeah. uh, 27, yeah. about how it's talking about blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, which is not even forgiven in this world or out of the next. And I was just reading that. I'm just thinking, what about Paul or King David? You know, the, the Apostle Paul, were they, I mean, did they go to hell? Absolutely not. But that's what this seems to say. King David. I'm just asking LDS. I mean, are y'all saying that the, even the man that wrote most of the New Testament went to hell, you know? Yeah. They, uh, they don't like Paul. I don't know. They don't say that he went to hell, but they certainly say David did. That's Mormon doctrine. David did not uh, ascend. David is a goner because he committed uh, a shed innocent blood, which Doctrine and Covenants 132 wow. defines as blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. After you got all those death threats, wow, and what, what position are they on? If they're going to kill you, what, what position does that go into, well, that's, you know? That's justified murder. <laughs> and they do believe in that. Just look at Brigham Young. All right, my friend. Great call. Thanks for watching out there in Texas. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Have a good one. And I'll be praying for you I, and, your man, and your family and the ministry. I, thanks very much. I want my daughters to marry someone from Texas. You guys are all so polite. You're 17 years old and listen to you. I mean, it's just very polite. I like that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We'll talk on the email. I appreciate that. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Isn't that nice, sir? I mean, I'm being called sir. <laughs> all right, we're going to Colin in Orem. He's LDS. First-time caller. Colin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Colin? Good. Hey. Um, just had a couple of quick questions. Um, I started watching you about uh, about a year ago. Um, my whole family is LDS, and from my brothers, my parents, grandparents, everybody. And uh, I was born LDS and uh, served the mission and everything like that, and uh, my girlfriend that I started dating, um, her, uh, her, her family watches you, and 
so I started watching you, and I was like, what? You know, kind of going kind of kind of crazy and thinking, what is this guy talking about, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I had just uh, been watching your program really, really hard this last week. Uh, my girlfriend records it. And uh, I just want you to kind of go over that story about how Jesus was across the river and how the LDS had to grab on and kick. Yeah. And the Christian... Uh, what the story is, Colin, is this. Um, I'm going to give you the Christian teaching first. Okay. And that is we are all living in a fallen world. And there is nothing but the blood of God himself shed on our behalf to cleanse us. And, and uh, there's another story that we could tell. And it's like <clears throat> there's a, 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 a puddle of, of, of uh, quicksand. And someone falls in it. And the LDS say, fight and fight and fight and fight. And when God, Jesus, watches you fight and fight and fight and do your best not to sink, then, then he will finally reach down and pull you up out of that quicksand. But you, while you were in it, you did what you could to keep your head above water, right? You didn't commit that. And so that's the, that's the LDS view. The Christian view is you sink. You give up. You are done for because... There are sins that continually plague you and reoccur in your life. And you're gonna, you, you cannot overcome them on your own. And so you sink to the bottom and Jesus comes and he dives in to that quicksand and he gets below you, Colin, and he sacrifices his life and he pushes you up because he loves you. And he is the one who does the work. He pushes you to safety and you take a gasping breath while he takes his final breath for you. If you were the last person, uh, the first and last person on this earth, Jesus would have done that for you. And so what you do then is you look to him and you say, God in the flesh, Jesus, my whole salvation, the fact that I'm saved from that certain death is based on your works, your effort to bring me from death to life. That's the, that's the teaching that I was giving on that river example. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I've, I, I totally agree with you. Okay, I want you to know, my brother, that I want you to prove me wrong on the facts that people say I'm wrong on. You go to utlm.org if those things bother you, but I want you to know you have it in your right not to believe me or your bishop or anyone else, but to go in your room or in your car and you give your life. You say, Jesus, I believed what Sean McCraney said, that my salvation is based solely on your work to save me from my sin. Yeah. And he, and give me a new heart, and he will give it to you, Colin. Yeah, I believe that. And and another thing, just growing up LDS, it's, it's so hard for me because I feel like I have to do it myself. I have to do everything. I have to, you right. know, I have to keep the commandments. I have to do everything the prophet says. I have to, you know, go to church. I have to go to the temple so I can make it to heaven. That's the problem with the religion. I love the people. Many of them are the salt of the earth but they're under a delusion that somehow their works are going to impress the God who manages this universe, the God who sent his son to die for you, that somehow you're going to impress him with your, with your going and collecting fast offerings or serving a mission or going to the temple every month. It's a joke, but it keeps you in the trenches. Hey, we're on the air. If it's a private thing, do it alone. But do you want to give your life to the Lord with me now? Yeah. Well, let's do it. All right, and you want to just say your prayer to God, or do you want me to help you? Uh, sure. All right. Help me. Heavenly Father. 
Heavenly Father, I believe with all my heart. I believe with all my heart that you sent your son for me. You sent your son for me to die for me. Die for me while I'm in my sin. While I'm in my sin. He died for me when I was not perfect. He died for me when I was not perfect. And I didn't deserve what he did. I did not deserve what he has done for me. But he did it anyway. And he did it anyway. And I believe I am saved by his sacrifice. I believe I am saved by his sacrifice. And in saved, that means I am completely justified by his blood. And in saved, I am completely justified by his blood. And because of this, Lord, I seek a new heart. Because of this, Lord, I seek a new heart. And to have, uh, to know I am born again. And to know I am born again. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Savior. In his name. In his name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, there's a lot of people in this room have, who have done that very thing that you just did. I have done it, uh, Colin, and I have no vested interest in, in uh, you as a person to take you from Mormon. I don't get any brownie points. It is because we have all experienced what you just did. Now, here's the key. You have to trust that you have done what God asked you to do. You believed in your heart. You confessed with your mouth. Now wait and wait for him to show you. I suggest that you open up the book of John, not the King James Version that's been edited by Bruce R. McConkie, but a, just a regular old King James book of John and start reading. Keep praying that God will open your eyes and wait faithfully for doing it. This is walking by faith. So now you're on the path. Okay. I believe with all my heart that that was heartfelt and you are saved. Now trust in God's promises and he will begin to open your eyes. You have, a, you have a girlfriend who's leading you in the right way. <laughs> you keep going, my brother. Our prayers will be with you. Okay, thank you, Sean. S stay, on the stay on the phone. We want to send you a Bible. Okay, thank you. Okay, hold on. Okay. And how do I do that? Line three, will you get his address so we can send him a King James? We are out of time, but what a better way to, to run out of time, huh? Uh, we praise God for, for young men like Colin, old men uh, and women, anybody who has opened their heart and says, you know, I just want to be right with God through the shed blood of his son. Whatever religions are saying, I want Jesus to take over my life and to give me new life, a new heart. I confess his name. He is my savior. Nothing I can do just like Colin did. And you have that liberty and, and, and ability right there uh, by God to you. You don't need me to call in. You can do it with, with anybody or alone. Go to him. He will uh, save you from your sin and you will know him. So come back with us next week here on Heart of the Matter. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my run.